Welcome to Pro Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney. This week, the Federal Communications Commission voted to overturn Obama-era net neutrality rules that required internet service providers to treat all online content equally, handing industry groups a win and offering ISPs leeway to try out fast and slow lanes for web traffic. Our senior telecom reporter, Kelsey Griffiths, was in person for the vote and will be joining us from Washington to talk about what happened and how soon we can expect changes to how the internet is accessed. And later on, we'll end the show by talking about holiday parties. Does your company have one planned? If so, they may face some possible liability if they don't follow some key rules. As always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hey, guys. So, what are you guys up to this weekend? Great question, Bill. Do you, I mean, we're going to see Star Wars. We are attending the cinema together. Yeah. It will be, be lovely. <laughs> Uh, so, are you both really into Star Wars? Is that what I'm hearing? I mean, we're, uh, I mean, we're going on Friday night, so, so yeah, that's I think a yes. so. Look, I don't want to, I don't want to say I'm really into Star Wars, but but yeah, I'm really into Star Wars. Much like America, uh, so the Star Wars universe began with a trade dispute, so it's very, it's very, <laughs> it's, it's very near and dear to my heart. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's in your beat. Yeah. Uh, it's very how, good. How can you make this about IP, Bill? How can um, you get it? Well, it's been very profitable IP for uh, Fox and yeah, now Disney. Yeah, but you tied it into the actual like cinematic <laughs> universe. That That's was true. really good. Yeah, I don't. Although it does seem like maybe like deep in like the geopolitics of the prequels, there would have been a line about like we need to pass intellectual property legislation. <laughs> there probably were like pirated helmets with like the rebel insignia on them oh, sure. coming around. Yeah, you know, I sure. don't know, but sure. who knows? Anyway, so that's what's on deck. We're very excited for that. It'll so. be fun. Well, we're we're switching straight from some good weekend plans into more conversation on this podcast that bums me out. Yeah, uh, so yeah. I'm happy we talked about something light. To get us started, because yeah. now we're going into the sad segment. Yeah, I didn't mean to put you in a bind transition-wise there, but we'll no, let's it's just okay. Get into it. It's keeping my spirits buoyed in this tough 2017 we've yeah. been living. We're almost done, but uh, if you've been even half paying attention to the news, you know that there's. I don't know if we'd call it an epidemic, but there's certainly been a wave. The reckoning, yeah, of uh, allegations of sexual misconduct against powerful men across many industries media, uh, entertainment, uh, politics, things and like that. on the show, we've even talked about how Boyce Schiller had been involved with some of the Weinstein mm-hmm. troubles. Yeah. So we've discussed this before, and that's, but now we're more, even more squarely in the wheelhouse of our legal world. That's now coming to roost squarely, like you say, within the legal community. Uh, late last week, there some new allegations came to light about Ninth Circuit Judge Alex Kaczynski, who had allegedly behaved inappropriately with some of his former clerks, including uh, he had apparently shown them some pornography in the office and made very sexually charged comments. And it's all kind of spilling out into the media right now. So very serious stuff. Walk us through what's been alleged and and who's alleging it. Well, honestly, it's getting kind of hard to keep up. The original uh, patient zero for this Mm -hmm. was a Washington Post story on Friday that quoted six different former clerks uh, from Kaczynski who worked for him over the past 10 years, including uh, during a time when he was the uh, chief judge of the Ninth Circuit. Mm -hmm. Two of them went on the record. One woman, uh, Heidi Bond, a former clerk who's now uh, a writer, she basically said that, you know, Kaczynski during work hours showed her like pornographic images Mm -hmm. and said things like, does this turn you on? Uh, Another woman, uh, Emily Murphy was her name, said that the judge told her how he thought about, he thought about her exercising naked and, and not just like a one-off, like not just like he kind of kept talking about it even when she tried to turn away. 
Um, and I'm, even just yesterday when I was researching for the segment we're talking about now, uh, prominent uh, Supreme Court commentator Dahlia Lithwick at Slate, everyone yeah. who follows the law knows Dahlia, she wrote a very long column. She used to clerk for Kaczynski as well and said he harbored this like hyper-sexualized world uh, and he would ask her, you know, what are you wearing on the phone and things like that. None of this is of a physical nature, but there is a pattern of just making extremely inappropriate comments, allegedly, to his female underlings. And obviously, we've also talked on the podcast a lot about the power dynamics in the legal industry yeah. and how women struggle to reach uh, levels of power yeah. and, and high points in their careers. And this plays into the worst fears that women yeah. have about this, where a judge who has a lot of power is doing things like yeah, this. Yeah, it it, it, it's very sharpened in this specific context because, you know, it's not just a story about sex, it's a story about workplace dynamics. Definitely. And that, especially when you're not, when you're just talking about atmospheric stuff, which is, and like yeah. the way that the workplace feels when you come in, that's what comes home here. And to me, it's also just extra awful because we put, as a society, a lot of faith in judges. We've talked about it on the show, that, that we put so much that we have a really hard time adjudicating them when they do <laughs> bad stuff. Right. So that rolls us into the next question, which is, we've seen these cases in media, in Hollywood, in Washington, D.C., and many of them have led to firings, have led to people resigning. What's Kaczynski had to say for himself? Is there any indication that 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 he's considering that or that he's taking action or what? On that front, there's not very much indication from him at all that that's the case. Um, to our reporter, R.J. Vote, who wrote the news story for us, he gave basically his version of an apology we've seen, which is like, I'm, I'm sorry if my conduct offended anybody and I don't maybe quite remember it the way the that big other if. people do. Yeah. So no indication to step down there. Going a step further... To the L.A. Times, he gave a quote about the allegations against him, and he said, if this is all they are able to dredge up after 35 years, I'm not too worried. Oof. So that's, Guys, I, that's you pretty wild. You don't want Come dredging in your, in your like, excuse for something. Like. <laughs> right, because, like, if you give him we're, – we're saying these are allegations and they're not proven yet, but it's, like, even just – he sees the claims and he's like, ah, even if that were true, not a big deal. I right. mean, that's what that means. That is so frustrating. I know. Yeah. All right. So <sighs> – I don't even want to continue the conversation, but I'll I'll ask, is the court doing anything about this? It is indeed uh, kind of a late development. Late on Thursday, the Ninth Circuit basically began a formal inquiry into Kaczynski's behavior. And what comes of that is basically a, um, a committee of judges within the circuit can get together and conduct an investigation. Uh, and it's like a full-fledged investigation. I was talking to Strickler about this, who wrote the story, and he and he basically said like they can hire outside counsel, mm -hmm. they can uh, make findings of fact and make a decision. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Chief uh, the Ninth Circuit Chief Judge Sidney Thomas, when he started this inquiry, he actually asked that it be moved to a different circuit right. to sort of maintain impartiality and stuff like that. So that's underway. But even that, as we've talked about in different contexts, the only thing that can come of that is an official finding of misconduct against uh, Kaczynski. And that is basically like a scarlet letter that he wears. It's just But like, it's but not it like he just automatically gets fired from the bench or no, anything drastic. No, and they can take their own sort of measures by attrition against him. The chief judge can decline to assign him cases and they can put sort of public-facing pressure well, on him. And we've seen his clerks have met or... Allegedly, many of his clerks have resigned in the last few days. Yeah, so. yeah. There's been some departures uh, of that kind. Which, and that used to be like the cushiest clerk job in the in the country. I know. Right? Yeah. There's. A, I mean, that's a that's a fast so track to a lot of high right. court jobs. So basically, it sounds like it's just a lot of um, 
pressure on him to mm-hmm. step down, essentially. And, and to be perfectly clear, you hinted at it already. This this uh, inquiry does will in no has they have no legal authority to push him out. That right. is the job firmly of Congress. Mm-hmm. Congress must get together and vote to impeach a judge, which, as we know, takes a tremendous amount of political will and resources. And it's never quite clear what kinds of circumstances are going to prompt in, something in this like environment. That. Kaczynski is a pretty conservative guy. The yeah. Republicans control D.C., so it, it it would be particularly hard right now. Yeah. So those are the stakes. Like I said, the court uh, has asked has has begun that, and that's definitely something to monitor as we so, go on. So is history going to be any guide here? It seems like uh, he has a bit of a shady past that we might want to talk about a bit. Um, that would indicate what they might dredge up in this inquiry. There were some past incidents that will probably inform their thinking. Uh, uh, around about 2008, um, Kaczynski was reprimanded for posting pornographic images on a on his personal website, which was public facing. So, and he was he basically said that that, uh, that did not rise to the level of misconduct, but was sort of got a finger wag from the from the committee that was looking at it. How does that not rise to the level of misconduct? I, I mean, he, he 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 took it down and apologized, and that was enough for them. A year later, he was found to be trying to get around the uh, Ninth Circuit's like like computer network encryption, so he could again download pornography and illegal music. So you see a thread here. It's not just. Some random thing. Um, this has popped up many times over the last several years. Um, as I was looking into this, I also couldn't help but note uh, a point of a little bit of irony here. Um, in 1992, Kaczynski actually wrote the foreword to a book uh, that was titled Sexual Harassment in Employment Law. Let's hear what he wrote. <laughs> the common thread to these sexual harassment stories, if there is one, is that they tend to involve women who are young or at least young to their professions, and men in positions of authority who had no compunctions about using the leverage afforded them to demand or cajole sex. Speaking from personal experience. I Yeah. Um, <laughs> Allegedly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's all kind of laid bare there for you. Um, it is. I mean, we often end segments saying things like, oh, we'll follow this, we'll see what happens here. This is one in particular that I hope we see some action to address what's going on. We will see. Thanks, Alex. So, Bill, you have a little bit of an update type story for us today. Yeah, few uh, few fellows we've talked about on the on the podcast before. Yeah, the White House uh, so gave up this week on winning Senate approval for two of President Trump's more, let's call them controversial judicial nominations. Yeah. After Republicans, a few key Republicans said that they were un- unlikely to uh, ever make it through the process. So, which ones are we talking about here? Uh, we did an episode a few weeks back about Trump's picks. And how several had gotten those not qualified yeah, ratings right. from yeah. the ABA, mm-hmm. the American Bar Association. And one of those was Brett Talley. Um, and yeah. we talked at, he's, at some length about him. Critically, he's the person who's been barred less years than I have. Correct. Everyone's favorite football-loving, ghost-hunting, <laughs> yeah, fart, fart memoir-writing, right. yeah. uh, uh, questionable <laughs> ethics-possessing... Uh, silent silent but deadly. Would, would be his, his debut memoir. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so... Sounds like will have more time to do that if you so want. So he was picked as a nominee <clears throat> for a district court in right. Alabama. Yeah. And his, his no-go rating from the ABA was due to his lack of experience, as Amber alluded to. He had never tried a case. Yeah, he was a deputy assistant attorney general at the mm-hmm. DOJ, and he had worked in the Alabama uh, state attorney general's office. But um, at the time of the nomination, he had practiced law for three years, Yeah, had never argued a case, and this is the real kicker, had never even filed a motion in federal court. 
Wow. So like had never had never done the things that he was like. He I mean, did. I mean, I challenged a parking ticket once in court. <laughs> I mean, I, that's like closer. Like so, and then after that, it came out that he had failed to disclose somewhat insanely that his wife was uh, the chief of staff for the White House counsel. Yeah, that was my uh, point about questionable ethics having, by the so way. That, so that that was go. that didn't factor into the ABA's thing, but mm-hmm. that was really didn't help. Right. <laughs> so um, and then after that it came out all the stuff that you were talking about that he there were he, there were these 16,000 posts on an Alabama football blog, yeah. many of them about very controversial subjects that also hadn't been disclosed. So he's out. So he's out. So uh, he um, Apparently last week he submitted a thing to the administration saying, I will withdraw if you want me to. Oh, yeah, yeah. Grassley, apparently, Senator Grassley, um, Chuck Grassley, who is the head of the Senate Judiciary Committee, so very mm-hmm. important in all this, told the White House, like, eh, let's, 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 let's let him take that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah let's let him let's pull out. So yeah. so it was confirmed this week that, that the White House would not be pushing, would not be reapplying him or anything like that. So you said there were two of them, though. Two of them. The other one is Jeff Mateer who Trump had nominated for a district court seat in Texas. Um, His issue was not experience. It was only controversial statements. Oh, gosh. How controversial did they get? Yeah, these days. So there was this 2015 (laughs) lecture in... And it has a lot of very incendiary stuff. He he described transgender youth as part of, quote, Satan's plan. Mm. Uh, He called... Uh, the Supreme Court's landmark uh, ruling legalizing gay marriage, quote, disgusting. Um, he apparently advocated for conversion therapy, which is... <clears throat> yeah, so he's definitely out there. Well, you didn't let me finish. Uh, he compared same-sex marriage to marrying a pet or a tree. Hmm. Great. So, um, unlike Tally, and perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, Mateer never even made it out of committee. <laughs> Um, Grassley, uh, pressure again, pressured the white house to reconsider the nomination. And as the process moved forward, the way that this works is the white house has to send this questionnaire to the judiciary committee. Right. They never sent that. Yeah. So it's sort of, people started asking like, well, what's happening here? Are you just not doing it? And the white house confirmed this week that they're, they're not pursuing that. Kind of, kind of died on the vine. Yeah. So where where does that leave us? I mean, there are lots of seats to fill. And, yeah. yeah. Well, so we've ta- I mean, we've talked on the podcast about how Trump has this. Um, it's an unusually large vacancy to fill, bigger than any president yeah. who's assumed office in the last thirty years. Mm-hmm. Many many open judgeships, so he can really make a big imprint on the judiciary. Yeah. As we've also discussed, he has used that opportunity at times to nominate some more controversial judges than than we've seen in the past. Since 1989, only two judges had been ruled not qualified by the ABA in their review process. Trump has had four of those in the first year. Yeah. So to be clear, Republicans have said that's because the ABA is this liberal Which we talked about with Mike organization and, yeah. and mm-hmm. everything else and they've fiercely defended those and they've said that, you know, that they're they're harassing these legitimate judges and it hasn't really blocked many of these judges. It tally now has gone down, but so say what you will about the, the the ratings, but this sort of shows that that there is a certain point. Like a, a <laughs> yeah. guy who's never tried a case is maybe a bridge too far for the administration. You can do some weird people, but there is eventually a point where the Republicans are going to put their foot down and be like, come on, let's well, see what other weirdos we get out there. Right. I mean, I'm glad we've at least found some terminus to this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it seems yeah. like you had to go pretty far. <laughs> pretty far. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for bringing that bill. Sure.
The Federal Communication Commission this week voted to roll back rules protecting so-called net neutrality, repealing the Obama-era safeguards aimed at preventing broadband providers from creating fast and slow lanes on the internet. To walk us through all the action, we're joined by senior telecom reporter Kelsey Griffiths, who was on the scene of the big FCC vote. Welcome, Kelsey. Thanks so much, Amber. It's uh, great to be calling in from D.C. So before we really get into the nitty gritty of what you saw down in D.C. today, can you just briefly explain for everybody what net neutrality actually is and sort of the backstory of how we got to today's vote? Sure thing. So net neutrality has been nearly two decades in the making. It's uh, spanned several FCC chairmanships, and it really started as an open-ended set of guidelines that the FCC tried to enforce at one time. Um, and then a federal court told them, no, you don't have the legal authority to do that. So what were those guidelines so, actually going to do? So the guidelines are aimed at preventing service providers from speeding up, slowing down, or granting paid prioritization to online content. So it basically says you have to treat all online traffic equally. So the FCC has been trying to do this for years, and it's been up and down through the courts. Walk us through sort of the legal background of how we got to here. So the Federal Communications Commission has been trying to enforce some level of net neutrality rules for the last two decades, really. Um, it started as a less official policy, and um, once a court told them they could not officially enforce those rules, they took the step in 2015 of reclassifying the Internet as a Title II public utility, mm-hmm. granting the FCC the authority to regulate broadband service providers and impose these um, conduct standards on them. And that one made it through the courts. That was upheld, right? Correct. It's been um, upheld twice. Kelsey, the rules as we know them now, as you already said, came into force under the Obama administration. But a lot of stuff has happened since then. Republicans have come in and taken over a lot of branches of the government. This was no different. And so just tell us about the shift that's happened and what happened with the FCC vote today. Sure. So since Chairman Ajit Pai has taken over the head of the Federal Communications Commission, He's really been pushing an agenda of uh, deregulation. So this uh, Internet order that was voted on today is no different. It is basically giving Internet service providers more control over the way that people can access content. So this ultimately might mean that your Internet service provider could block or speed up or slow down content that you want to reach based on corporate deals that they reached with other content providers. So it's been all over the news the last week, the last two weeks, this backlash to the Republican plan. And we've seen it online. We've seen it in real life. Walk us through what the reaction has been to this and and what you saw today in in D.C. covering this. So I got uh, to the Federal Communications Commission building pretty early this morning because I was interested in seeing uh, the kind of protest that popped up surrounding this big event. Um, I would estimate I saw about 100 protesters milling around on a vacant lot across the street from the FCC's building. On the internet, the internet matters to all of us, but today you're going to hear from voices that represent those communities. If that's all right, let me hear you say, yeah. yeah. If that's all right, let me hear you say, internet freedom. Yeah. When I say internet, you say freedom. Internet. freedom. internet. It was a very mild protest, but everyone 
was really sincere in their reasons for being there and what they truly believe um, are the harms of this order that was just voted in. We also saw a lot of uh, protests online about this, too, which you would imagine since this is all an online issue. Absolutely. The public outcry online has been a lot more intense than we've really seen uh, reflected in person. At least that was my sense of it today. We've had months of activism, 23 million comments filed on the FCC's website. So um, I was actually a little bit surprised that we didn't see more intense uh, protesting action. But for the most part, everyone did keep it really civil. And, you know, there was just a lot of passion from both sides. Well, I think the civility kind of kind of took a pause when there was uh, there was some kind of disruption when the hearing got going. Was there not, Kelsey? Yeah, that was crazy. Um, in the middle of Chairman Pai's speech about why the commission was taking this step, you know, we were all getting ready for the vote to happen. And suddenly some officers came into the room and they were like, hey, everyone has to leave. You can't bring your phones. You can't bring your coats. So we kind of uh. milled around in the hallway for 10 minutes waiting to see what was going to happen. Eventually, um, a DHS officer and a bomb-sniffing dog walked by, and then we were cleared to go back in the room. So So um, when the chairman was pressed later, he said he wasn't able to give us any more information about um, the nature of the threat, but there was some sort of uh, at least worry that safety had been compromised in the room temporarily. So obviously we have people pretty upset about Tensions this. are running high. Yeah, like uh, yeah. <laughs> we've seen it um, all over the internet. You really described pretty well a, a scene that had some, some real drama. Um, why exactly are they upset? What do the Democrats on the FCC and some of these protesters have to say about why this is why this matters? Well, I think it really goes back to a sense of wanting to feel heard in the Trump administration. A lot of people have spoken out and said net neutrality is a women's issue. It's a minority issue because if you have powerful corporations controlling or at least strongly insinuating or incentivizing the the information sources that you can access, then that effectively limits and marginalizes the voices of others. So what do consumers actually think they might see now that these rules have been rolled back? Like, what could be the practical things that could happen next? Practically, we might start to see some new internet services pop up. We're not exactly sure what this is going to look like yet. And experts actually told me this week that it's likely we're going to see a delay before anything really changes. But as we go forward, we might see new tiers of internet access. Let's say you're an elderly person who only uses the internet to connect with your friends and family over Facebook. Perhaps you could pay a flat rate fee with a $5 um, additional package per month that would let you access only portions of the internet at a lower cost. Those concerns were echoed today, I think, during during the hearing by uh, Commissioner Mignon Clyburn in a statement before before the vote that, that really laid out a lot of these concerns. Because the public can plainly see that a soon-to-be toothless FCC is handing the keys to the Internet, the Internet, one of the most remarkable, empowering, enabling inventions of our lifetime, over to a handful of multi-billion dollar corporations. And if passed its prologue, those very same broadband internet service providers that the majority says you should trust 
to do right by you will put profits and shareholders' returns above what is best for you. We've already mentioned the chairman, Ajit Pai, a bunch of times here. I don't know if you guys saw his little viral video uh, explaining why this wasn't such a big problem. He said, People were so infuriated by that video. You'll still be able to Instagram your food and you'll still be able to watch Game of Thrones and you'll still be able to do the Harlem Shake. I don't know if he's intentionally <sighs> like off by several, up several old, years. Old memes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he made a little more of a cogent point at the hearing today. Lay out their argument for us, Kelsey. A lot of people are upset that this could usher in a really dangerous era. What does the Republican side say as a rejoinder to that? Sure. So uh, I guess as a counterpoint to the public backlash that has just taken over the Internet in in recent weeks, um, the Republican majority is saying we're really only going to see a boon for industry, which ultimately trickles down into better products and services for consumers. Republicans um, love a trickle-down argument. No, wait, I've, I've heard this before. Yeah. Right. So what the Republicans and the industry groups that they're closely aligned with uh, generally believe is going to happen is that internet service providers will feel new freedom to expand their networks and to make a lot of these expensive investments in infrastructure that lets us access the internet no matter where we are. Because Ajit Pai's whole point, right, is that is that these rules – Overregulated the internet. They they imposed these these odd sort of old school regulations on something that that really didn't need it. And if you remove them, it will unleash things. So so let's hear something that he said today during the hearing. On express orders from the previous White House, the FCC scrapped the tried and true light touch regulation of the internet and replaced it with heavy handed micromanagement. It decided to subject the internet to utility style regulation designed in the 1930s to govern Ma Bell. This decision was a mistake. So Pai said something in that quote about light touch regulation, and that's something we've heard a lot about, which is him basically saying, well, if we get rid of this net neutrality system, we're just going back to how it was two years ago, and the internet was booming then. So Kelsey, what do you, what do you make of that? Are we just returning to form here? Well, I think that's still kind of an open question, and it depends on who you ask. The internet has possibly changed a lot in the last couple years as people rely more and more on over-the-top services like Netflix or Hulu for entertainment. I think we are often now going to a lot of different sources to kind of cultivate our media experience, and it still remains to be seen whether there's a business case for regulating internet differently, even if there wasn't a business case for it two years ago. So we've basically set up this uh, vote here, talked about what they did and about how there were really inflamed feelings on both sides of this, but particularly the people that wanted to keep net neutrality rules in place. What are those people going to do now? Well, it looks like we are gearing up for a huge legal battle ahead. Already this afternoon, we've had several advocacy groups, we've had Netflix, and we've had uh, a lot of state attorneys general who have come forward saying, we plan to sue the FCC over this. That's not uncommon because we did see a big wave of uh, litigation in 2015 as well. But it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out in the court. In super broad strokes, what is the, you know, what, what, what might these legal challenges sort of look like? Sure. Well, it's really likely that we're going to 
see some suits filed with the D.C. Circuit first. Um, and we're also going to see a lot of, you know, discussion over whether the FCC's public comment process handled this proceeding correctly. A lot of state attorneys general have already challenged uh, what they characterize as massive comment fraud and identity theft. So, you know, we might see a lot of discussion about that going forward. Mm-hmm. Another interesting aspect to these likely impending cases is that the FCC just went through this process two years ago. So we're probably going to see a lot of discussion about whether it can reverse course so quickly. Kelsey, you're going to be really busy on your beat. We can't wait to hear more about these suits as they're filed. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. We like to end our show with something offbeat, and we're staying seasonally appropriate this week talking about holiday parties. Yeah, I don't have a news item for you here. I thought it would be fun to uh, point everyone in the direction of a great story that Braden Campbell wrote, our employment reporter. And it's about, you know, uh, it's time for holiday parties. Because nothing's more fun and wacky than rules. That's right. (laughs) Uh, This isn't some squarely legal stuff, but Braden sort of ran down uh, some things that employment attorneys are telling their clients as the season descends upon us for merriment and bars and coworkers mingling in situations where they sure. don't always Basically mingle. Basically how not to get sued. Yeah, but to right. still be festive. Start, start the litig- stop the litigation before it starts. Yeah. Maybe sure. a little Freudian slip there. Um, in any case, so we're just going to run down a couple of these. Number one, as you might expect, it has to do with the booze. Of course it does. Maybe we cut back on the booze a little bit. Psh, yeah. We tried that as a nation. Yeah, right. It didn't work. <laughs> it led, to the, work. led to the mafia. It's true. <laughs> Do you uh, want mafia at Christmas parties, Al? <laughs> I didn't think so. There are a couple different ways to go about this. It's not just like a cold stop. You know, it could be... Uh, they. Is uh, it like when you give people the drink tickets? Yes, drink tickets, which I I, I I poked fun in a text to you about the the Vox Media Holiday Party did this because they've had some they've had some misconduct at the top of their uh, yeah. at the top of their editorial chain. Mm. Um, another example is maybe not liquor, just beer and beer and wine only. Uh, like a sad wedding can can slow down. Yeah, uh, sadder wedding cash bar another option. Oh. So there you go. I just simply wouldn't attend. Yeah, right. Uh, the other thing uh, that's all kind of pro forma stuff. The other thing that Braden included in this and has a really great quote from an attorney that I'm going to read is um, apparently like inviting significant others, which some companies don't do. Oh, because like wives and husbands like keep people in line? <laughs> Here's a quote from an attorney uh, in Braden's story. A number of employers are starting to invite guests to holiday parties, whether that be a spouse or significant other, and that tends to encourage better behavior. Well, wow. okay, but which counter- has a whole counter- yeah. counterpoint. The single people would just invite their dirtbag friends, and it would get more out of hand. And I think the two sides would cancel each other out. Spoken like a guy with some dirtbag friends. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, second one, second step, uh, just kind of setting general ground rules to not, like, heavy-hand people with, like, let's not be screwing each other at the holiday party, but just to kind of, like, give maybe everybody, like, a pretty speech. Maybe just, like, remind people, like, this is still with your coworkers. Let's have fun. Let's be safe. Uh, sort of embedded within that, as Braden pointed out, is maybe maybe you have your eye on people. I mean, you you like you know your your culture better than we do. We're talking about here in your office. Sure, right. If there are certain people who you think might be prone to having a problem, let's make a point to get the message across to those people. Right. Um. This one was just weird. Uh, Braden <laughs> said some people, you know, some people designate senior management 
uh, people in the office to not drink and just kind of be cops, I guess. So they're that like the chaperones horrible. of the party. I mean, basically, again, sounds like you got a narc at your party. Again, these are you. these are these are best okay. practices, not like one size fits all. Type As of stuff. the manager in yeah, this room right totally. now, I hate that idea. Yeah. You have to go to the party and then just like watch your team or whatever. That's the worst. Hate that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've so hated that, every one of these. Yeah, I mean. That they're, they're just like you say, they're designed to sort of curb fun, or well, I mean, I don't know. In any case, uh, last one this doesn't really apply to us here in New York, but in places where people are driving, let's make sure we're not, not putting drunk people into cars. Whether it's uh, that's a good one again, if people, yeah, that if people are fair. assigning yeah. DDs, if you're in a financial position as a company to pay for people's uh, Ubers and Lyfts. Or get, oh, a, get a bus. Or get a bus, bus of some kind. Tell them about that. You sure. know, make sure to be like, don't take your, we, like, we have that taken care of. Like, be radically transparent about that stuff. Um, so that's, um, that's basically it. And I think that that's a wise list. Uh, well, how do you, Amber, we had our party last week. How'd we do? We did. Um, I, did we do any of these? Mm, <laughs> guys. I, don't, I don't think of one. Uh, and nobody died. Well, that's, it, I mean, and that is fairness, the threshold that, that lawyers like to use as the definitely uh, what they use. Well, I mean, we don't need Uber or Lyft because we're in New York City. Right. Everybody mm-hmm. has easy public mm-hmm. transportation to get home. Uh, I'm happy that I don't have to monitor you guys at a party. Right. So yep. I felt good about that. Yep, yep, yep. And yeah. it was fun. Everyone had fun. We did. And, we had uh, a great time. and we want all and we want all of you to have fun uh, responsibly. I guess that's right. Boy, so, I sound like a real. <laughs> like a, no, you sounded like a beer ad. I, I think Alex is <laughs> enjoy Christmas parties responsibly. <laughs> Alex is just, Budweiser brought to you by. Alex is gearing up for his next um, year in performance review. He's just proving his managerial chops. Yeah. He's doing. Yeah. So that'll wrap us up today. We hope everybody's parties are legally sound, and we've had a great show. Thanks for being with me, Bill. Happy holidays, guys. And Alex. Ditto. We have a lot of other people to thank for today's show, including our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader. We'd also like to thank our guest, Kelsey Griffiths. Contributing reporters this week, Braden Campbell, RJ Vogt, Jimmy Hoover, and Michael McInerney. Music for the show is from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men. If you'd like to read more about anything we've talked about on the show today, check out our website at law360.com slash podcast and join us again next week.